Chapter 2 Impotence and Omnipotence And a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Dost thou desire to be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on that day was the Sabbath. John 5, 5-9 This man had been lying, with many others, around the pool, hoping that it would be stirred by the angel, and that he might be put into the water first, so he might be healed. He waited there a long time, and waited in vain. Why did he wait? Because Jesus wasn't there. Where Jesus is not, you must wait. If it's only an angel and a pool, you must wait. One may get a blessing, and many may get no blessing. But when Jesus came, there was no waiting. He walked in among the crowd of sick people, turned his attention to this man, commanded him to take up his mattress and walk home, and he was healed at once. I commend this man for waiting. I admire him for his patience and his perseverance, but I beg you not to make his experience your own. He waited because Jesus was not there. You don't have to wait. You must not wait, because Jesus is here. It was necessary for him to wait. As I've told you, there was an angel, a pool, and nothing more. But where Christ is, there should be no waiting. Any soul that believes in Christ tonight will be saved tonight. Any soul that looks to Christ tonight will be saved, even though he looks from the ends of the earth. Go ahead and look now. You are commanded to do so. Scripture? Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of saving health. 2 Corinthians 6 2. And? Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Hebrews 3 8. If you turn your eyes by faith to Jesus, the living one on the throne of the highest, you will obtain an immediate cure. Waiting was fine at the pool of Bethesda, but waiting at the pool of religious ritual is not according to the Scriptures. I read nothing about waiting there, but I do read this Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16.31. However, to help some who have waited to the point of weariness, who have persevered in the use of other means until they have become despondent and disappointed, let's look at this case of the impotent man at Bethesda. The Saviour knew the case. Jesus knew the case. I only mention that to say that the Saviour knows your case. Jesus saw him lying there. There were many objects for the Saviour's eyes to rest upon, but he fixed his gaze upon this man who had been bedridden and afflicted for thirty-eight years. In the same way, Jesus knows all about your situation. He sees you just where you are right now, afflicted, without hope, without light, and without faith. He singles you out from among the multitude wherever you are right now. His eye is scanning you from head to foot. He looks inside as well as outside and reads all that is in your heart. Concerning the man of the pool, Jesus knew that he had been a long time in that condition, and he knows the years that you've been waiting. 
you remember being carried to the house of God by your mother. As a boy, you remember listening to sermons that seemed to startle you. You went home to your little bedroom and cried to God for mercy, but you forgot your conviction. It was like the morning mist that vanishes in the rising sun. You came to London and grew up to be a man. You became careless about divine things and shook off all your early convictions. Still, you went to hear the word preached and half hoped that you might get a blessing. You heard the word, but faith was not mixed with what you heard, so you missed the blessing. But you still always had a wish that the blessing would come to you. You could never despise godly people or the things of Christ. You thought you couldn't get those blessings for yourself, but you always had some lingering wish that you were numbered with the people of God. The Lord Jesus knows all about that, and the many years in which you have been waiting as a hearer, but a hearer only, and not a doer of the word. You were convicted at times, but you rejected those feelings and went back to a careless life. My Lord knows all about you. I can't pick you out of a congregation, but as I preach, miracles will take place. The very nature of men will be changed, because Christ is being preached and His gospel is being proclaimed. None of this is done in vain, and God will bless it. He is going to bless somebody. Who that somebody may be, or how many hundred somebodies there will be, we cannot guess. He will bless His own word, and why wouldn't He bless you? He sees just who you are, where you are, and what you are. In addition to this, our Lord knew all this poor man's disappointments. Many times, when he had attempted to get to the water's edge first, and thought that he would be able to take the happy plunge, in went someone else before him, and his hopes were gone. Another came up out of the water, healed, and then, with a heavy sigh, he fell back onto his couch and felt that it might be a long time before the angel stirred the water again. Even then, he might be disappointed again. He remembered the many times when he had lost all hope, and he lay there so close to despair. Someone waiting by the pool of religious rituals today might say, My brother found the Lord. My friend who came to church with me found the Lord. I have lived to see my mother die in sure and certain hope of glory. I have friends who have come to Christ, but I am still living without Him. When there were special services, I hoped that I might have been specially blessed. I have been to prayer meetings, have read my Bible in secret, and I have sometimes hoped that maybe one of these days I will be healed. My Lord knows all about that, and He sympathizes in all the grief you feel. He hears those unspoken wishes of yours, and He knows you long to be healed. The Savior Aroused the Man's Desires He said to him, Dost thou desire to be made whole? There he lay. I'm not going to explain lying at the pool except to apply it to you who are here in a similar condition. Beware of forgetting why you attend church. Beware of coming to the house of God and not knowing why you've come. Years ago, you went to places of worship in the hope of finding salvation. Well, you've kept on coming and haven't found it, but do you still look for it? Have you fallen into the habit of sitting and listening to sermons and prayers and so on without feeling that you came for anything special for yourself? You come and you go, merely to attend a place of worship, and that's all. The Saviour would not let the impotent man lie there satisfied by the pool. No, he said to him, Why are you here? Don't you have any desire? 
Don't you want to be made whole? I wish that you were able to say yes to this question. Did you come to listen to me so that your sin may be forgiven, that your soul may be renewed by divine grace, and that you may meet with Christ? If so, I want to keep you focused on that point, and not to let you come get used to sitting here and come and come and come and be just like the door on its hinges which turns in and turns out again, and isn't a bit the better for it. Oh, don't get into mere religious habits. They will only be ritualistic habits to you. You come, you go, and you are satisfied. This will never do. Christ arouses your desire as he says, Dost thou desire to be made whole? Also, avoid the despair that comes from indifference. I remember two brothers and a sister who heard me preach for a considerable time, and they were under great conviction. But at the same time, they thought that they couldn't believe in Christ and that they must wait. I hardly know what for, and they waited until they grew quite old. I didn't know better people, morally, or better hearers, as far as interest in what they heard was concerned, but they never seemed to get any further. After a long time waiting, they seemed to feel that if it was to be, it would be, and if it wasn't to be, it would not be. They felt that all they could do was just to sit still, be quiet, and be patient. Patient under the fear of being lost forever? Why, I don't expect the man condemned to death to be happy and patient when he hears them putting up his gallows. He must be concerned and uneasy. I did my best to make these friends uneasy, but I confess that I am afraid my efforts met with very small results. The Saviour said to this man, Dost thou desire to be made whole? You seem to be in such a state of indifference that you don't care whether you are made whole or not. No worse condition than that can be found. It's so hard to deal with. I pray that God will save you from a gloomy indifference in which you leave yourselves to drift to destruction at the will of some unknown fate. I pray for you to remember that it is yours to desire. For Christ said to this man, Dost thou desire to be made whole? You can't make yourself whole, but you can desire and wish to be made whole. God's Holy Spirit has given to many of you the desire to do according to His good pleasure. You will never be saved against your will. God drags nobody to heaven by the ears. There must be in you a desire and a consent to the work of His sovereign grace, and if it's there, I want you to exercise it right now, just as Christ wished this man to exercise it. Dost thou desire to be made whole? Do you have any wish, any desire, or longing for healing? If so, I want to stir this fire and make it burn. If there's only a spark of desire, I want to breathe upon it and pray for the Holy Spirit to breathe upon it and make it into a great flame. Paul said, And I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing, for I have the desire, but I am not able to perform that which is good. Romans 7, 18. I believe that there are some listening to this who have the desire to be saved. Thank God for that. Dost thou desire to be made whole? I think that the Saviour asked this question for another reason, which I will turn into an exhortation. Surrender all the ways that you think you are to be saved. 
The question is not, Do you desire to be put into that pool? but, Dost thou desire to be made whole? The question is not, Are you willing to take this medicine? or, Do you desire that I do this or that to you? but, Dost thou desire to be made whole? Have you come to the point that you are willing to be saved in God's way, in Christ's way? One says, I want to have a dream. Don't desire dreams, for they are only dreams. Another says, I want to see a vision. There's nothing in the plan of salvation about seeing visions. I want to hear a voice, says one. Then hear my voice, and may God the Holy Spirit make you to hear the voice of His Word through me. But I want, oh yes, you want. You don't know what you want, like a silly child with its fads, fancies, whims, and wishes. Oh, if only all were willing to be saved by the simple plan of believe and live. If this is God's way, who are you that He should make a new way for you? When I presented the way of salvation to a friend some time ago, she turned to me and said, Oh, please pray for me. No, I said, I will not pray for you. Oh, but, she said, how can you say that? I replied, I set before you Christ crucified, and I beg you to believe in Him. If you won't believe in Him, you will be lost, and I will not pray for God to make a different way of salvation for you. You deserve to be lost if you won't believe in Christ. Afterwards she said, Oh, I see it now. I do look to Christ and trust Him. I replied, Now I will pray for you. Now we can pray together and sing together if we need to. Dear friends, don't set up your own ideas about how you ought to be converted. Can you find any two people who were converted in the same way? God does not make converts like men make steel pens, a whole lot of them in a box all the same. No. In each instance there is a living man created, and every living man, every living animal, every living plant is somewhat different from every other of its kind. You must not look for uniformity in the work of regeneration. Dost thou desire to be made whole? Come, do you desire the pardon of sin? Do you long for a new heart and a right spirit? If so, stop disputing about how you are to get them and do what Christ tells you to do. Dost thou desire to be made whole? It's as if the Saviour said, Be more serious about it than ever before. I know that you desire to be made whole. Well, desire it more now than you've ever desired it before. Let your desire be exercised. Act on your desire. You are serious about being saved. Be more serious. You've come to an important crisis in your life. You may be at the point of death, who knows? We know that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. If you want to be made whole, I desire that you would be made whole right now. I pray that you would feel something pressing you, something that makes you end your long delay, something that makes you feel, I have no more time to waste, I can't afford to dawdle, I must be saved right now, I hear the distant ticking of God's great clock that stands in the hall of grace and always says, Now, 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 and never utters any other sound. Oh, may the Lord make it so by His own free grace. So the Saviour aroused the desires of the man at the pool. First he knew his case, next he aroused his desires. The Saviour heard the man's complaint. 
Now the Saviour heard the man's complaint. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming another steps down before me. Some of the people who waited by the pool had kind friends, who took turns watching day and night, and the moment the water was stirred they lifted up their patient and plunged them in. This man had lost all his friends. Thirty-eight years of illness had worn them all out, and he said, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. How can I get into the water? There are many in this position. They want help. While I served at Menton, I had the joy of leading a number of friends to Christ. When I had to leave them and come back to London, more than one of them said to me, What can we do without you? We won't have anybody to lead us down the right path now. We'll have no one to instruct us, no one to correct our objections, nobody to solve our doubts, and nobody we can talk to about the deepest cares of our hearts. No doubt some of you would talk the same way, and I must admit that the lack of a helper is serious. It's a great disadvantage to have no one to help you in these things. Sometimes if a friend will come up after the sermon and just say a kind word, it will do more good than the sermon itself. Many troubled ones who spent a long time in prison might have been released sooner if only some kind friend had reminded the brother of a divine promise which, like a key, would have opened the prison door. I agree with you that there is a great help in having a dedicated Christian friend to lift you over a difficulty, to carry you to the water's edge to which you cannot go by yourself, and to put you into the pool. It's a great loss if you don't have this type of friend. I feel very sorry for you if you live in a village where there's nobody to speak to you about spiritual matters, you attend a ministry that doesn't feed you, and you have nobody to comfort you. There aren't many, after all, who can really help sinners come to Christ. Some who try to do so are a great deal too wise, and others are too hard-hearted. It requires special training in the school of grace for anyone to learn to sympathize with others so that they are really able to help them. I suppose one of you might be saying, I have no mother to speak to, I have no Christian friend in the family, I have no one to go to for help, and that's why I am stuck where I am. Well, a helper is very valuable, but a helper may not be as valuable as you think. I've known some who have had plenty of Christian helpers as they sought the Lord, but none of them were really able to help them. If you trust in earthly helpers and think they are necessary, God won't bless their efforts, and they will be of no use to you. I am afraid that many seekers have had to say, even to good and devoted Christians, what Job said to his friends, Miserable comforters are ye all. Job 16.2. After all, how can a man be of much help in your soul's affairs? No man can give you faith or give you pardon. No man can give you spiritual life or even spiritual light. Even though you have no man to help you, remember that it's possible to place too much importance on men, and you can trust too much in Christian helpers. I beg you to keep that in mind. I'm afraid that there are some professors who have been helped a little too much. They heard a sermon and were really convicted by it. Then somebody was foolish enough to say to them, That is conversion. It was never conversion at all. The friend then said, Now come forward and make a profession. So they came forward and made a profession of what they never had. Then the friend said, Now come to such and such a meeting and join the church. In this way they were led and led 
and led, never having any real internal life or spiritual energy given to them from on high. They are just like children in go-carts who are unable to walk alone. God save you from a religion that depends on other people. There are some who have a kind of lean-to religion, resting on somebody else. When the support is taken away, what becomes of the lean-to? The good old lady who helped you for so many years dies. Where is your religion then? The minister used to keep you going. You were like a spinning top, and he kept you spinning. When he is gone, where are you? Don't settle for a religion of that kind. I beg you to examine yourself. Though a helper is very useful under certain conditions, even a Christian helper may be a hinderer. Now, this is the point I've come to. You have to deal with Jesus right now, and to deal with Jesus you need no man. You don't have to deal with pools and angels. You have to deal with the Lord Jesus Himself. Suppose that there is no man to help you. Do you even want a man when Jesus is here? You wanted the man to put you into the pool. He is not necessary to introduce you to Christ. You may speak to him yourself. You may negotiate mercy for yourself, and you must confess your sin yourself. You don't want a priest. You want a mediator between your soul and God, but you don't want any mediator between your soul and Jesus. You can come to him where you are and as you are. Come to him now, tell him your case, and plead with him for mercy. He doesn't want my help, and he doesn't want the help of the Archbishop of Canterbury. He doesn't want the help of anybody. He alone can meet your needs. Just put your entire life into his hand. Then, if you have no man to be your helper, you don't need to lie down and fret about it, because he is able to completely save those who come to God by him. Now, this is all very plain talk, but we want plain talk nowadays. I feel as if I have not shared anything worthwhile unless I try to bring men to Christ. There are many high and sublime doctrines that I would like to speak of, and many deep and rapturous experiences that I would like to describe, but I feel that I must often leave these things and keep to the much more commonplace. These seem much more useful in the matter of persuading men, as I work for Christ, that they should look away from man, and away from ordinances, and away from self, and deal with Jesus Himself distinctly and directly. Then there will be no need of man, and certainly there will be no need of delay. The Saviour satisfied the man's case entirely. This is my closing point. The Saviour satisfied the man's case entirely. This afflicted man has no other man to help him. Christ can help him without man's assistance. This man cannot even move except with great pain. He has to crawl to the water's edge. But he doesn't need to crawl there or even move an inch. The power to heal that man was in the Christ who stood there, commissioned by God to save sinners and to help the helpless. Every bit of the power that saves is not in the saved man, but in the Christ who saves. Ignore and reject those who say that salvation is an evolution. The only thing that can ever evolve out of the sinful heart of man is sin and nothing else. Salvation is the free gift of God by Jesus Christ, and its work is supernatural. It is performed by the Lord Himself, and He has power to do it, however dead in sin the sinner may be. As a living child of God, I can say that, 
Upon a life I have not lived, upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. You who desire to be saved must do the same. You must look right past yourself to Him whom God has exalted to be a Prince and Saviour to the sons of men. The Christ met that man's dire needs, and He was able to do anything for him that He required. He meets your needs, because He can do anything for you that is necessary. Between here and heaven's gate there will never be anything required which He cannot provide, or any help needed which He is not prepared to render, for He has all power in heaven and on earth. Next, the Lord can do more for you than you ask of Him. This poor man never asked anything of Christ, except by his looks and by his lying there at the pool. If you feel like you cannot pray, if you have needs that you cannot describe, if there is something you want and you don't even know what it is, Christ can give it to you. You will know what it is when you get it, but perhaps now, in His mercy, He doesn't let you know all your needs. But here's the point. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3.20 May He do it in you now. Take comfort from the cure of the impotent man, cherish hope, and say, Why shouldn't He also heal me? The way Christ worked was very unique. He worked by a command. It's not a way you and I would have selected, or a way which some nominal Christians even acknowledge. He said to the man, Rise. He couldn't rise. Take up thy bed. He could not take up his bed. He had been unable to get off his bed for thirty-eight years. Take up thy bed and walk. Walk? He could not walk. I have heard some objectors say, That preacher says to people, Believe, they can't believe. He commands them to repent, they can't repent. Well, our Lord is our example. And he said to this man, who could not rise, and could not take up his bed, and could not walk, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. That was his way of exercising his divine power, and that's the way Christ still saves men today. He gives us faith enough to say, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel 37, 4. They can't hear. Scripture, Behold, I will cause spirit to enter into you, and ye shall live. Ezekiel 37, 5. They can't live, but they hear and they do live. And while we're acting by faith, delivering a command which looks to be absurd and unreasonable, the work of Christ is accomplished by that command. In ancient times, didn't He say in the darkness, Let there be light? To what did the Lord speak that word of power? He spoke to darkness and to nothingness, and there was light. Now he speaks to the sinner and says, Believe and live. He believes and he lives. God wants his messengers to let the sinner know that he doesn't have the strength to obey, that he is morally lost and ruined, but in the name of the eternal God say, The Lord commands you, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Believe, repent, be converted, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way Christ's power is brought to the sons of men. He said to the man with the withered hand, Stretch forth thine hand, and he did so. Matthew twelve thirteen. He says to the dead, Come forth, 
and they come forth. John 11:43. His commands are always given with the ability to obey. Where his commands are faithfully preached, his power goes with them, and men are saved. I will close with this observation. In obedience, power was given. The man did not stop and wrangle with Christ and say, Rise, what do you mean? You look like a friend, but do you come here to make fun of me? Rise, I've been lying here for thirty-eight years, and you say, Rise? Do you think that there has ever been a minute in those thirty-eight years when I wouldn't have gladly risen if I could have done so? Yet you say, Rise, and you say, Take up your bed? How can I do so? It's been thirty-eight years since I could lift a pound, and you command me to shoulder this mat on which I lie? Are you joking? You say, Walk. Walk? Hear me, all you who lie sick around me. He tells me to walk. I can barely lift a finger, yet he commands me to walk. In this way, he might have argued the matter out, and it would have been a very logical piece of argument. The Saviour would have stood convicted of having spoken empty words. Instead of saying these things, however, no sooner did Christ say to him, Rise, than he willed to rise. As he willed to rise, he moved to rise and rise he did, to his own astonishment. He rose. Then he stooped down and rolled up his mattress, all the while filled with wonder. Every part of his body sang as he rolled it up and quickly put it on his shoulder. To his surprise he found that the joints of his feet and legs could move, and he walked away with his mattress on his shoulder. The miracle was complete. Stop, man, stop! Come here! Did you have the strength to do this by yourself? No, I lay there thirty-eight years. I had no strength until that word rise came to me. But did you do it? Oh, yes, you can plainly see that I did it. I rose, folded up the mattress, and walked away. But you were under the influence of some unseen force that made you move your legs and your hands, right? Oh, no, I did it freely, cheerfully, gladly. My dear sir, I clapped my hands for joy to think that I could do it. I don't ever want to go back to that old mat and lie there again. Then what did you do? Well, I barely know what I did. I believed him and did what he told me, and a strange mysterious power came over me. That's the whole story. Now, explain it. Tell these people all about it. Oh, no, says the man. I know that it happened, but I can't explain it. One thing I know. I was a cripple, and now I can walk. I was impotent, and now I can carry my bed. I was lying there, and now I can stand upright. I can't explain salvation to you, or how it takes place but I remember when I sat in the pew as despairing a sinner as ever lived. I heard the preacher say, Look to Christ and live. He seemed to say to me, Look, 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 look. I looked, and I lived. That moment the burden of my sin was gone. Unbelief no longer crippled me. I went home a sinner saved by grace and to live to praise the Lord. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. I am thrilled that so many will obey this gospel command, Believe and live. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Oh, do it! Do it now! To God be the glory and peace and happiness to you forever. Amen and Amen.